And uh, good morning, everybody. And uh, thank you to uh, you and for your kind welcome to us here uh, this morning, uh, myself and us as a family. Thank you to David and thank you to the other elders here in Windsor for uh, your welcome and for the opportunity to come and share about what God is doing in a tiny place called Belturbet. Most of you, like me, I, I grew up in Bangor, uh, not far from here, and most of you, like me, will have absolutely no idea where on earth a place called Belturbet is. Uh, hopefully, that'll be uh, filled in, those kind of details, uh, in just a moment. Um, so just to say a little bit about myself, uh, I said my name was Joel, it's been said a few times, my wife Katya, uh, and she's from Russia originally, two sons, uh, Timothy and Benjamin. Uh, Katya and I, we met overseas on uh, the Logos Hope ship, if you've heard of OM ships and their ministry, maybe some people from this church uh, have been involved in that ministry in the past. Uh, so we were two years serving on board on the Logos Hope, um, it's where I first got opportunity to share from God's Word uh, in many different countries. Um, the Lord blessed those various churches that had to put up with my first sermons. But there you go, that's where, where I got a, a start in ministry. Uh, I felt very uh, under-equipped, and so whenever I left the ship ministry, came back here to Northern Ireland, I started in three years in Irish Baptist College in Mora. So it was three years there. Uh, during that time, uh, we found it very difficult for Katya to get a visa. I'm sure many of you who've come here from a different country have found the wonders of working through the British immigration system. Uh, we got a big, a, big, a big no for our uh, visa requests, and so we figured out the easiest way uh, was we, we moved to the Republic of Ireland where we could get a visa for Katya. And uh, in God's providence, he didn't allow us to live uh, in the north here. And uh, we had to move to the Republic of Ireland, three years in County Monaghan. Uh, and then I was called uh, over to Cavan Baptist Church, the, the neighboring county to Monaghan, uh, where I served for two years as the assistant pastor there from 2016 to last year. And uh, it was two years there, uh, got great experience. And during that time then, we really felt as a group of elders the desire to plant a new church into this town called uh, Bell Turbot. So it's Baptist Missions that we work with. Now I'm very pleased uh, to work with. So Bell Turbot, where on earth is Bell Turbot? Let's see if this piece of kit is going to work for us. There you go. That's good. Um, you can see on the image there that you've got little County Cavan uh, tucked just beneath the border. And you can see from the red dot on that picture where Bell Turbot is. So we're right up with the border uh, with Fermanagh. Um, a little border town. Belturbet is just a population of 1,400 people. Um, very, very small town, but with a catchment area, as most rural towns have, of about 4,200 to about 5,000 people. So you might be thinking, with such a tiny, tiny town, why on earth are we even considering planting a church in such a small place? Um, well, there's a number of reasons why we as a group of elders have decided that Bell Turbot is the place that we wish to plant a church. First of all, uh, we've seen the need. Uh, the need is, is very great anywhere, as you'll know, in the Republic of Ireland. Um, pretty much, if uh, you were to point on your compass and drive 10 miles from the church in Cavan Baptist Church, 20 miles, uh, you would find any number of towns where there is no, not yet a gospel-preaching church uh, in that town. And so the need in the Republic of Ireland for church planting is great. Um, so there's the need in Belturbet, as with many other towns in the Republic, for a gospel preaching church. 
Uh, but there's also the desire um, for the last 25 years, 26 years actually this year, uh, that Cavan Baptist Church has been established, was planted, uh, and it has been growing. And we are we're delighted to see how the Lord has blessed and added to our number in the church in Cavan so that we, like you guys, have um, we're getting a little bit tight in our church building. We're, we're, we're starting to outgrow it. So that's a wonderful problem to have. And uh, so part of the solution to that problem is to think about planting a, a new church. Um, but also God in His providence has opened up doors and opportunities for us to be able to share the gospel and to see the gospel taking root and being established in people's lives in that town of Belturbet. Um, so there's those reasons, but it's also a town of strategic significance for us. Um, Belturbet in Irish means mouth of the isthmus. Um, and that's because it was strategically a great crossing place to get across the River Urn uh, before the bridges were built. Uh, heading up north further up to places like Enniskillen, it was a strategic place, and that's where the town uh, sprung up from historically. But we also hope it's going to be a, a strategic place for us as we hope to reach out into that area of West Cavan, really that, that northwest cor corner you can see of the county of Cavan there in blue, that northwest corner is really quite unreached uh, with the gospel, with very little uh, witness over the years and uh, certainly very little witness now. So it's our desire to see the gospel starting to reach out and spread further uh, into that part of County Cavan. So what's been happening uh, so far? Well, we've just been in the role uh, in, in church planting since September last year. But for the whole time that we've been in Cavan, that's nearly two and a half or more than two and a half years now uh, that we've been living in Cavan. We've lived in Belturbet that whole time. So we were church planting without even knowing that we were church planting in the way that we were trying to reach out uh, to our neighbors. Uh, and we're delighted to see a group gather together for different uh, events that we've started to put on. The first of those is a weekly Bible study that we've been running with around 10 to 15 people uh, gathered who come to hear God's Word on a, on a Wednesday night. Um, that's been great encouragement for us. Um, also, Katja, along with another lady, has started a, a ladies' Bible study that meets in the town. That's a picture of the study there and some of the ladies who are coming along. Uh, it's a little bit manic. You have the, the moms who gather around in the chairs. The kids all go into the center of the room. They play, and some are over the top of the melee of noise rising from the kids, uh, they try and teach and learn from God's Word together. Uh, so, but that's been going on, and it's a great opportunity because many of those women wouldn't be able to come out to the Wednesday evening Bible study. So it's great that they can gather uh, fortnightly on a Wednesday morning. So we've got a weekly Bible study going on. Uh, we've got a fortnightly ladies Bible study. Uh, but we've also started a once-a-month uh, Sunday afternoon uh, service. Uh, and that's been going really well this last four months. Uh, and just Sunday past, we finished a series called Questions Christians Ask. We were thinking about some of the big questions uh, that people are thinking about and asking about the Christian faith in our day. Why or how could a good God allow suffering? Um, can we really trust the Bible? And um, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Those kind of questions. And we're delighted to see a group of about 40 to 50 gathering uh, uh, on those Sunday afternoon meetings. And so that's been a real encouragement to us to see God starting to, to bring together uh, a group uh, in that area. And of that 40 to 50 number, maybe around 20 to 25 of those are from Bell Turbot and are considering being part 
uh, of a new church uh, that's uh, coming up uh, in the area. So we've been doing some other out- outreach. This was um, uh, Easter time on uh, in, in the Republic of Ireland, if you'll know anything about uh, towns around uh, the Republic, you'll know that St. Patrick's Day is a, a big day, and most towns have a St. Patrick's Day parade of, of some sort. And um, in Belturba, though, rather than do a St. Patrick's Day parade, they do a spring parade on Easter Sunday. And see, we're, we were privileged to be able to be part of the parade, put a small float you can see in there, and a, a small crew of us went through and handed out some literature, handed out some mini uh, Easter eggs to the people in the town, and we were delighted to have a great response uh, from people as we, as we reach out. So people are getting to know us, people are try, starting to find out who we are and what we're about, and so it's our, our eventual goal that um, perhaps, and maybe you could pray with us to this end, that we're hoping that perhaps by Easter next year, we'll be starting to meet regularly on Sunday mornings. We started off Sunday morning worship services. So that's our plan um, uh, under God's providence in his will and in his time. We hope that Easter next year uh, we'll be uh, starting Sunday morning services. Um, That's ambitious. That's not where I expected to be, if you'd ask me. Uh, Eight months ago when I started in this role, it's going much quicker than I expected. Um, But we're delighted that God in his will and his providence is pushing us that way, that as he starts to gather his church together in Herbert, that has been his plan as so far as we can see. Um, I'd just like to share a few more things before we, we come to uh, God's word in, in just a moment. Um, I'd like to share uh, about a, a man who um, some of you may know, so I'm not going to give away his name. Um, one of the ways in which I'm trying and, and we try to reach out in, uh, in Belturbet is we try and get involved in, in local community and clubs that are, are going on. One of those is the Men's Shed. Um, before I do what I do now, I used to be a joiner uh, by trade. And so working with wood and working with my hands is just um, my cup of tea. Uh, so I go along to the Men's Shed. I'm the youngest there by about 30 years. Uh, it's mostly a group of retired men who, who gather and rather than hang about in the pub, they, they go into uh, the Men's Shed. And uh, I was sitting one, one uh, Thursday morning in the men's shed drinking a cup of tea when a fella comes in and sits beside me and he's got a very strong Belfast accent. Do you know what I mean, mate? Like the kind that you talk around here. Um, and as I, as, I, as I get talking to this fella, it turns out he's actually from the Falls Road in Belfast. And we get speaking, you know, both being not too far away. I worked in the Falls many times in uh, my, my, uh, what I used to do as a, as a joiner when I worked around Belfast here. And uh, we're talking away, really hit it off. And as we're talking and we're talking, um, it turns out uh, that he used to be the president of the Spiritualist Church uh, in Belfast here. Now, for those of you who are new in the church, you maybe won't be so aware, but your previous church building, uh, your neighbors were uh, the Spiritualist Church uh, in Belfast here. And he was a former president uh, of the Spiritualist Church. Um, it may take church in its title, but it couldn't be any further from the gospel for those of you uh, who, who know. It couldn't be any further from the truth of God's word. And unfortunately, the people there, as far as we know, are lost and dying and perishing without a savior in Jesus Christ. And so I've come to get to know this man. I've, I've, we've been even invited, Katya and I and the boys, and round to his house. He used to be a chef. He cooks really well. Uh, so he invites us round to his house uh, to, for dinner. We've got talking to him. And I just think it's fantastic 
get this. For those of you who were here when the church used to meet over on Windsor Avenue, I've no doubt that you were praying for your neighbors next door in the spiritualist church, right? Isn't it amazing that how God would answer a prayer that you would have prayed 10, 15, 20 years ago for that uh, church and for those people, that God in His providence would answer that prayer and the former president of the church there moves to Belturbet. He takes a fellow from Bangor and a girl from Russia, and they move to Belturbet, and God in His providence allows us now to be an answer to that prayer by being able to share the gospel with him. Now, he, he's not born again. He, he hasn't been saved as yet. But isn't it amazing how God works that he would answer our prayers in ways beyond uh, that we could even ask or imagine? So, we're very encouraged uh, in the work that's happening in Belturbet. That's just a brief update about some of the things that have been happening, ways that you can be involved in an ongoing way. Um, first of all, uh, prayer news. Every Friday, you can get an email that comes into your inbox, or if you're like me and rather open it up on your smartphone, you can scroll through it pretty quickly. About five minutes it takes me usually to read through, and you'll get a little update um, once a fortnight from ourselves, half the mission on one week, the other half of the mission on the other week, uh, working in those four parts of the world that we as a, as a mission are working in, Peru, France, Spain, and Ireland, as you know. And uh, so once a week on a Friday, you can get uh, information about what the Lord is doing through Baptist missions. If Mervyn, my boss, the director of Baptist missions, was standing here, he would, of course, say, it's not my mission. Uh, it's your mission. It's our mission. This is what God is doing through us as a group of 120-so churches on the island of Ireland. This is our mission. And so it's important that we're involved in what God is doing uh, through prayer. So please can I encourage you uh, to be praying. We have some prayer cards with us here. You'll see our lovely little family on the, on the front of that page. Uh, <laughs> Victoria was saying our lovely little family. It wasn't so lovely at three o'clock this morning whenever um, our son Benjamin was waking us up out of bed. But anyway, um, there, there's, there's a, a picture of us and some small prayer points on the back. Stick that up in your fridge. Maybe you could be praying for us. Um, there are those. There's some at the front here and there's some at the back. Um, along with the prayer news that comes in regularly. This year also, we're, we've started a new initiative um, called Target 1000. Um, these little pieces of information are up at uh, the entrance as well there as you make your way out or perhaps making your way in. Um, here's an initiative that we're hoping to see as a mission, a thousand new workers raised up who will support, who will pray, and who will give to the work uh, of what the Lord is doing here in Ireland uh, and in other places in the world. Target 1000, specifically, if you're in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, uh, we're looking for you. Um, uh, Baptist Missions Night on Tuesday night up in Lisbon. I was glad to be there. Um, and in the majority, the people there, I would say, are probably over the age of 60. Please don't take offense of that if you were there. Um, but as a mission, what we're seeking to do is we're seeking to see a new generation raised up who will support the work of the mission, who will support the work of the gospel going to the ends of the world through Baptist missions. So perhaps that's something that you could consider. Uh, take the leaflets and the flowers at the back there, um, have a look at that, and prayerfully consider uh, supporting us financially. Um, if you're giving to the church here this morning, uh, and regularly, can I just say thank you? Because we know that you as a church have been very generous 
in your giving to us as a mission and the work that we are doing in Bill Turbot, you're partnering with us through your giving. So can I say a massive thank you uh, for your sacrificial giving uh, towards the work that we're doing here. I know you're in the middle of a massive building project and uh, money is tight, but we thank you uh, for your generosity, not just considering the work that's going on here in Belfast, which is important and wonderful, but also considering the work that's going on in the rest of Ireland and around the world. Thank you uh, for supporting us as a mission. If you have any questions about anything at all to do with uh, uh, what we are doing in Belturbet, if you've got more questions, I'd be delighted to speak with you afterwards. Uh, do come and grab me. For now, though, I'd like us to turn to Acts chapter 11. If you've got a Bible, please uh, look at Acts chapter 11. And this morning, we're going to be turning to Acts 11 and verses 19 to 30. Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, sorry, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Let's pause for a moment and pray as we come to God's holy and living and precious word. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity to be encouraged by your word. I pray that you would help us all now to focus, despite the distractions that we may have that go through our minds. Help us to focus on your word just now. Help me as I explain it. Help us all to understand your word better, not just so that we could be informed, but so that we might be transformed. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Here's a question I have for us this morning. What's it going to take to see the church of the Lord Jesus Christ multiplied? What is it going to, see, going to take to see the gospel advance in our day? What is it going to take to see people saved. See, sometimes, I don't know about you, but as I look at the people around me in the town and the county that I live or the place that I'm from, sometimes I can despair. 
Sometimes I despair when I see so few genuine Christians, so few people who are actually believing the gospel and having that lived out in their life. So what's it going to take to see people see it? Very often we can think of these things, perhaps if we just had more famous Christians, perhaps if we just had more Christians in positions of power, perhaps if we had just more exceptionally gifted Christians, if we had more of these types, then surely we would see more fruit. Surely we would see the church advanced. But as we come to God's Word this morning, what is it that God's Word tells us is the way in which we're actually going to see the church of Jesus Christ expanded and advance in our day. I hope you still have your Bible open at Acts chapter 19. We're going to be uh, looking directly at this passage again. Um, Acts, of course, was written by a man called Luke, who formerly wrote uh, Luke's Gospel. And so in the book of Acts, he's writing the sequel. This is the story about what God continues to do by His Spirit through the apostles. And as we come into verse 19, the very first line of that verse, we get a little bit of a context reference that helps orient ourselves as we come in to Acts chapter 11. Have a look again at verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. We're getting a bit of a flashback here, a flashback to Acts chapter 7, the moment when Stephen, who was preaching the gospel, is the first martyr in the church as we know it, uh, martyred for his faith and for his preaching of this risen Lord Jesus. And so because of Stephen's martyrdom, what happens is persecution spreads out uh, across the church in Jerusalem and across that area of Judea. We hear in Acts chapter 8 then of Philip, who's forced out into Samaria but then in chapters 9 and 10, we get a bit of an excursus from this, this story when we hear about Saul, who, who has this amazing conversion experience. And then in Acts chapter 10, we hear about Peter, uh, the leader of the Jerusalem church, who, who has this incredible encounter with a man called Cornelius. But now as we come into Acts chapter 11, we're really back with the momentum of the story, back with this momentum of, of how persecution has flung the church out from its uh, surroundings uh, and its confinement in Judea and in Jerusalem. So, as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to see a couple of things. First of all, ordinary people unleashing the Word. Second of all, the Word unleashed in ordinary people. First of all, ordinary people unleashing the Word. So, we have the Christians who've been, who've been scattered, and we, we find out where they're they're scattered at verse 19. Uh, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. So Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, hope we can see on the map. Uh, hopefully you, you can see that uh, pictured. Uh, if you can ignore all of necessarily the, the dots that are all around the place, I just want us to focus on that bit over on the right of your screen. You can see where Jerusalem is there. You can see some of the areas that were mentioned. Cyprus, of course, which is the modern-day island of Cyprus, um, is, is there on your screen. And so, some Christians went there. But there was also a very significant city that's mentioned there. It's the city of Antioch. And if you look just up on the right and a little bit about the middle there, you'll see a dot pointing out Antioch. 
Antioch was a significant city. It's a city which was of a similar population of the city of Belfast uh, today. And so that was a very large city, in fact, in the first century AD. In fact, it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. So it was an extremely significant and strategic place for the gospel to go to. But have a look down again at your Bibles and note initially in verse 19, note initially who they limit their gospel presentation to. Do you see who it is? Spreading the word only among Jews. They spread the word only among the Jews. Of course, the first Christians who were scattered from the church in Jerusalem were, in fact, Jews. And as people, of course, naturally we stick to our own kind. You only have to travel around the world and see just how many Irish pubs there are around the place. You know, the Irish people like to stick to their own kind, just like all people, we like to stick uh, to our own kind, and no less so for, for these Jews. I think that, that's part of the reason why they're sharing the gospel only among the Jews, but there's a theological question that's going on here in the church at the time as well. The question is this, is the gospel really for Gentiles? Is the gospel for more than just us Jews? Is it for all of the non-Jews in the world as well, the Gentiles? It's a question that these Christians were grappling with. But it's very interesting then when we read in verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. Some of them start speaking with Greeks. Now, they're not just talking about people who spoke the Greek language, they're speaking about Gentiles, Greek-speaking Gentiles. Now, this was a brave move for these early Christians, very brave indeed. But was there, was there convictions about this right? Were they correct to share the gospel with non-Jews, with Gentiles? Well, verse 21 gives us an indicator about that as well, doesn't it? The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. See, God approves the rightness of their actions by saving a great number of people. And this is very significant. It's significant for this reason. The first Gentile converts, they don't come through any of the notable apostles throughout the pages of the New Testament. The first Gentile converts come through simple, ordinary, everyday Christians. Did you notice that? Their, their names aren't even given in verse 20. We're just simply told that they are men from Cyprus and Cyrene. We don't even get out to find out their names of these bold and brave, but everyday and ordinary Christians who share the gospel in the city of Antioch. And what was their great missionary strategy as they went into the big city of Antioch? What was, it, what was it that they did? Did they have great programs that they put on? No, simply, they unleashed the Word. Have a, a look again at the end of verse 19. Spreading the Word is what they did. And again, we see it in verse 20 that at the very end, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. They simply unleashed the word in the city of Antioch. 
You see, the Word comes to us throughout the pages of the book of Acts, not as a, a dry and dusty book that hangs on a shelf, but as a living and powerful and dynamic force at work in the world that when simply unleashed can turn a city upside down. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Pioneer 10 space probe. Um, there it is up on the screen, or a, a picture of the Pioneer 10 space probe. It was released in 1972, launched by uh, NASA with a particular mission, a very ambitious mission at the time. Its mission was to go to the planet of Jupiter. That was ambitious because no uh, spacecraft had ever been uh, any further than the planet of Mars. So to go to Jupiter to gather data was incredibly ambitious. But not only did it reach Jupiter um, during its mission, as, as it came to the planet of Jupiter, Jupiter something really unexpected happening, happened. You see, the gravity force of Jupiter caught hold of the probe and, and almost like a slingshot threw it out to the outer edges uh, of our galaxy. And so it went on further. It passed Saturn at 1 billion miles from the sun. It passed Uranus and Neptune at 3 billion miles from the sun. So that by 2003, get this, 7.5 billion miles from the sun, it was still going further than anyone had ever, ever predicted. And the amazing thing was, it was still beaming messages back to planet Earth. And all that through a tiny 8-watt transmitter. No more power than your low-energy bedtime nightlight. It was still transmitting messages all those millions upon billions of miles back to Earth. Built to only last three years. 31 years later, it was still operating. And you see, that's exactly like what God does in his people. He takes us tiny, little, insignificant space probes and he uses them to accomplish far more than anyone would ever think possible. Brothers and sisters this morning, listen, the world has long since written off the church. The, the world has long since written off our influence and, and what we're capable of doing. But all we must do, same as those wonderful brothers and sisters back in Antioch, all we must do is unleash this powerful word and watch as God does the rest. First of all, we saw ordinary people unleashing the word. Second of all, I want us to see the word unleashed in ordinary people. See, the news of these first Gentile believers, of course, creates quite a stir in Jerusalem, the mother church. And so they send Barnabas, and Barnabas goes and, and conducts a teaching ministry up in Antioch and an encouragement ministry. But very soon, Barnabas realizes his need for extra help, and we read of that in verses 25 and 26. Have a look with me. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus, another city far away from Antioch, to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, excuse me, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So Barnabas goes and fetches Saul and, and brings him to this new church in Antioch, and they get around this church and start a, a teaching ministry. 
And as they start this teaching, well, what's the effect that happens on the church? Does all of a sudden the church start navel-gazing? Does this church become insular and, and start thinking about their own issues only? Well, not at all. There's two things that are very noticeable. First of all, there's a noticeable growth in size in the church. Have a look again at verse 24. We read there that a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And again, at the end of verse 26, we get another indicator of numbers. We, we hear there that um, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. You see, as, as the Word starts to, to be taught faithfully in the church in Antioch, more and more people are coming and wanting to hear this Word, this powerful and living Word as it's taught. There's a growth in size, but there's also a growth in maturity. Did you notice that in verse 26? We get this really interesting little comment at the end of verse 26. The disciples were first called Christians Sorry, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You see, there was something so different, something so distinct, something so interesting about this group in Antioch that they needed a new name for them. Christianus, Christians. They came up with a name for these people. There was something so different about them. I mean, can you imagine that conversation going on between a couple of people in the city of Antioch? Have you heard about those, uh, those guys? What guys are you talking about? Well, you know, you know those guys, they're, they're always going on about that fellow Jesus Christ. You know those ones? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think, are they not Jews, are they? No, no, they can't be Jews. Sure, your man Sylvanus and your, your man Stephanus, sure, they have become one of, the, uh, one of those people in that church, and, and, and they're not Jews. Yeah, right enough, Stephanus and Sylvanus, right? Okay, well, we're going to have to come up with another name for them, aren't we? Yeah, well, they're always going on about that fellow Jesus Christ, aren't they? Christians. That's what we'll call them, Christians. A new name for a completely new group of people. A group of people that were being transformed by this powerful word. The church has rightly been described as God's AV team. The way in which the unseen God is, is seen in the world today is through the lives of his people. And so the people in this first church in Antioch were definitely transformed by God's living word. And their transformation is demonstrated all the more for us as the passage closes out, doesn't it? We hear about this prophet called Agabus who comes to the church there, and he predicts that a severe famine was going to come uh, on the whole Roman uh, world at the time. So famine coming on the home Roman world, what would that mean for the church in Antioch? It means that the famine's going to come on them too. Notice what their first thought isn't when they hear about this famine. Their first thought isn't, right lads, time to batten down the hatches, time to stock up the larders with tins and get things ready for the famine coming. No, their first thought is not for themselves, but verse 29, the disciples as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. The first thought isn't for themselves. The first thought is for their brothers and sisters in Judea. Remember, they were going through persecution. And usually when we think of persecution, we think of someone getting physically beaten or we get someone being verbally abused. But 
What we often forget is that there's economic persecution as well. People are finding it hard to get jobs. People are finding it hard to sustain themselves in the place of Judea and in Jerusalem at that time, purely because they profess the name of Christ. And so the first thought of the brothers and sisters in Antioch, there's a famine coming. What about our brothers and sisters in Judea? And so they give generously to help with the need there. See, the church in Antioch was a people who were genuinely transformed. And where does all that transformation stem from? Stem from ordinary people who unleash God's word in the city of Antioch. We've been, as you know, as we've been talking about in Belturbet, seeking to share God's word uh, with, with people, whoever uh, is willing to listen. Uh, One such man that we've come across is a man called PJ. PJ uh, is a man who is born and bred in Belt Herbert. Uh, He had some connection with the church in the past. He was was baptized in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, He grew up, he he made his first communion, all those things. But for him, it was just a cultural thing. It really had no significance. He found himself as a man in his 50s. Both his parents were dead. He's living alone in his house really without much hope and purpose in his life. And then one day, PJ's a man who likes to thumb for a lift. So I've taken a policy generally to pick up hitchhikers. Where I came from in Bangor, nobody hitchhikes. We're too uh, upper crust to hitchhike in in Bangor. But in Belturbet, lots of people like to hitchhike. And so I kind of take a policy to lift people whenever I I get an opportunity. And so there's PJ hitching a lift, and I give him a lift into wherever he's going and give him a lift back. There happened to be about the third or fourth time, I can't remember exactly, uh, whenever I was given PJ a lift, we happened to be running a Christianity Explorer course. So I reached PJ, a little invite, you know, um, come along to the Christianity Explorer course. For those of you who know what Christianity Explorer is, it's just simply seven weeks working through Mark's gospel, simply engaging with the Word of God. PJ came along. PJ was reading Mark's gospel for the first time. PJ hears God's powerful word, and PJ was saved. Why was PJ saved? Because of a particularly gifted missionary? No, because of God's powerful word that was unleashed in his life. Brothers and sisters, this morning when we're thinking about church planting, when we're thinking about reaching out, when we're thinking about how are we going to see Christ's church multiplied, I want us simply to see how easy this is. Perhaps easy is the, the wrong word, but how doable this is. This is the, the word of God, and all we have to do is unleash it to see people's lives transformed and changed by this good news message. How are you going to unleash God's word in your lives? Perhaps it's tomorrow morning in work. And uh, if you're like me, when, when I was working first thing on Monday morning, usually what I get asked from one of my colleagues was, what did you get up to much at the weekend? You ever thought about how you're going to respond to that on Monday morning? What did you get up to at the weekend? Well, we could, of course, just say, well, um, you know, it was kind of, it was grand. It wasn't too bad. The weather was all right. Went out with the family, did a few things with the kids. It was all right. 
Or we could say, actually, I was in church yesterday morning and some fellow from Belturba was talking about uh, this church in the city of Antioch uh, where the word just seemed to totally change people's lives. They might stand back and look at you for a moment. They might try and change the topic of conversation and move on, which often happens. But what if, what if that kind of a statement was to provoke a little bit of interest? And so you might invite them to come along to church here so that they might hear God's word, so that they might have the word of God unleashed in their lives. Brothers and sisters, it's not rocket science. What will it take to see Jesus' church multiplied? It won't take superstars. It will only take ordinary people, like those first Christians in Antioch, like you and like me. Ordinary people who take this powerful word and let it loose to change us and to change the people around us.